0: portion of God's Word that we will focus our attention on for a few minutes this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 4. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were children... We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. The law uncovers guilt and sin and shows how vile our hearts have been. The gospel only can express forgiving love, and cleansing grace. What curses does the law pronounce against the one who fails but once? But in the gospel, Christ appears, pardoning the guilt of numerous years. My soul, no more attempt to draw your life and comfort from the law. Flee to the hope the gospel gives. The one who trusts the promise lives. Amen. Amen. So are you a book person or a movie person? Would you rather read the book or would you rather watch the movie? Whenever I hear that debate going on, it's always after a book has been turned into a movie and someone who read the book saw the movie and it just didn't live up to their expectations. It's not too hard to understand why. Books are interactive art, if you will. The author plays a huge role in trying to guide where your thoughts go, where your imagination runs, but really you get to decide what the character looks like. The author can paint the picture with words all he or she wants, but every picture in our minds is going to be a little different. You, you get to see the character how you want to see the character, and, and you get to envision the scene the way you envision the scene and maybe even come up with voices to match the the voice of each and every character. And then what happens? Someone goes and makes a movie and they ruin it, right? The way that you saw it, the way that you heard them, the way you pictured the scenes, it's been ruined forever by that director, by those actors and actresses who just took things in such a different way than than you did. But there's another side to the argument too, you know. There's some of us who'd rather watch the movie Instead of interacting with the art, we'd rather just look at it. And and here's why I bring it up. In his commentary on this very text, Martin Luther talks about this very thing. 500 years ago, commenting on Galatians chapter 4, he writes, ordinary people are caught more easily by analogies and illustrations than by difficult and subtle discussions. They would rather look at a well-drawn picture, Than a well written book. Some people just want to look at the art. They don't want to interact with it. And the reason that Martin Luther brought this up has to do with the the book of Galatians and how it's structured. The first three chapters of Galatians, the three chapters leading up to this, are basically the book, and our text is the picture you can learn a lot about the the name of a, a letter in, in the new testament right in in romans we know that it's written to people in a city called rome in ephesians we know that it's written to a, a people who lived in a city called ephesus corinthians same thing a city called corinth but galatians is a little different galatians are region And we're pretty sure where it was, but we're not exactly sure of the boundaries of Galatia. There was no map that came with the book that said, here here were the the boundaries of Galatia during the the time of Paul. Suffice to say, it's somewhere in modern-day Turkey. It might have been a little further north. It might have been a little further south. There's some debate. But it's a region in modern-day Turkey. And the Apostle Paul had traveled there. Just like he traveled to so many different cities and, and regions around the New Testament world. And he preached the gospel to them. It probably would have sounded quite a bit like what we've heard and what we've been focusing on the last few days and weeks as we've prepared for Christmas. The Apostle Paul would have pointed out to the people throughout the region of Galatia that the problem is not with all the people out there. The problem is, is in here, in my heart, in yours. That when people fell into sin, darkness filled the world and, and filled our hearts. Then he would have pointed to God's promise to send a Savior, a promise fulfilled in a man named Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem and grew up in a town called Nazareth, a descendant of David, who lived the perfect life that we failed to live, who, who died the death that our sins deserve, and who rose from the dead, defeating sin's greatest consequence, death itself, freeing us from hell and giving us heaven. But shortly after Paul left Galatia, another group of teachers showed up who brought them a quote-unquote different gospel. Listen to to Paul's words from from Galatians chapter, chapter one. He says to the people in Galatia, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. And are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so chapters one and th- one, two and three of the book of Galatians are, are Paul just tearing this new teaching to shreds. You see, these new teachers had showed up in Galatia after Paul and basically said, "All right, Paul told you about Jesus, but he didn't tell you the whole story. You're still required to obey the Old Testament laws. If you're blessed with three sons like I am, then those three boys need to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. And if you are going to be a believer in Jesus, you have to avoid bacon and lobster and continue on with the diet that God prescribed to his people. And you have to observe the the, the special festivals and the sacrifices. And you've got to keep doing all that. Jesus is your Savior, but... And the people of Galatia bought into it. They believed it. And in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul just tears them to shreds. Not just tearing apart the teaching that they believed, but saying, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you. I could have told you today, if you're a book lover, I could have said, hey, You get a free pass today, don't need to come and hear me preach. Just open up Galatians 1, 2, and 3, read it, you'll get the point. But then there's chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, this picture that Paul paints to help the Galatians and you and me understand the point of why he's so frustrated with them for believing these false teachers. So let's look at the picture again together once um, again, and let's do it in two chunks We're going to look at verses 1 to 3, and then we'll look at verses 4 to 7. What I am saying is that as long as the child is, as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of. Of the world. So, Paul is comparing the Old Testament believer in God's promises to a child. He's saying, You know, your ancestors, all these people who came before us, the descendants of Abraham, they were basically spiritual children. And as spiritual children, they're no different than a slave. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we have to spend a little time on it because of our American slavery context. So we need to put out of our mind for a moment the context of the slave trade during the American colonial times and slavery that is rightly rejected in our nation. There was a lot of evil and a lot of wickedness that has taken place in the world throughout the history of slavery. Racism, hatred, sin. Let's just call it that. Sometime, maybe we could have a discussion, maybe a Bible class on what the Bible says about slavery. I think that'd be a a good, healthy thing for us to do because there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the Bible actually does say about slavery and what the Bible doesn't say about slavery. But for today's purposes, would you do me a favor? Just throw away all the American context. I know that's asking a lot. But just throw it away and admit with me that, yeah, a child is like a slave. A child is like a slave. In our country, until you turn 18, you are... The the slave of your parents. They say, do this or else. And they have every right to say that. Parents give their children rules. And the child can obey 10 times in a row. Boom, 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 10 times. Really doing a good job. Obeying mom and dad. 11th time. Boom. Disobedience. What happens? The hammer comes down. You don't get to, but I was, I obeyed you 10 times in a row. No. Parents have authority over children. Just like a a master would have authority over a a slave who was rightly owned and treated lovingly. Children don't get to tell their parents what to do. The parents get to tell the children what to do. And, And Paul is saying, look, when a child is born... The child is an heir of the estate, even as a little child, but they're under the guardians and trustees until the time when the father says they're no longer under the guardians and trustees. Well, who are the guardians and trustees, or what are the guardians and trustees? It's the laws, the rules. Be home at 10, or else. Clean your room, or else. They're being guarded, they're being protected, they're being entrusted to the care of their parents who set rules for them up until a point. Hey kids, are you all listening? Children, <whistles> raise your hand if you'd like to be all grown up. Sounds kind of good, huh? When you're a kid, you want to be grown up. Do you know why? Because then you're free, right? Right? Mom and dad don't get to tell you what to do anymore. They don't get to tell you what time to go to bed. You get to go to bed when you want to go to bed. And they don't tell you when to clean your room. You get to clean your room when you want to clean your room. Right? Being a grown-up sounds nice. But I got news for you. Grown-ups, you know this well. When we grow up, sometimes we like to say things like, Ah, to be a kid again. It's a funny thing that happens, kids. You grow up and you kind of wish you were a child all over again. And, and you know what? <laughs> Even though no kid wants to be home at 10 when mom and dad say, be home at 10, you grow up and all of a sudden you learn. It's better to go to bed at 10 than to go to bed at 1 in the morning. If you go to bed at 1 in the morning, you pay for it days on end. But if someone would just tell me to go to bed at 10, I would be much better off. And sometimes as a grown-up, I wish somebody would just tell me to go to bed. And sometimes my loving wife does. <clears throat> There's all sorts of examples of this. As, as grown-ups, sometimes we look back and we just say, boy, those were easier times. <laughs> my house is a mess. I wish somebody would just tell me to clean it up. That would have been, that would have been nice. Think of it in terms of our church. We have a constitution and bylaws. We have leaders and committees. We have meetings and an orderly way of making decisions. And that's good. That makes sense. Because when you have over 100 families trying to do something together, it makes sense to have procedures and rules. Here's how we're going to make a decision. Here's when we're going to make a decision. Here's how a decision can be rightly made. And then this is how decisions cannot be made that's a good thing. It provides us with order. But you only need to serve on one building committee to know that the Old Testament way sounds better. Because God told the Old Testament people how long to build it, how high to build it, how wide to build it. He told them what materials to use. And after it was built, he told them how to take care of it and maintain it. A lot of our people here would be out of work. Out of work. Out of, out of volunteer opportunities because it was all laid out. Here's how you do it. Here's when you do it. Here's what you do. Here's how you pay for it. It was all just laid out for God's people. And there might be times in our lives when we look back at the Old Testament, we say, boy, those were simpler times. That sounds kind of nice. I would have never had to make a decision or get into an argument with anybody about a color or a width or a height or a length. All of that was pre-prescribed for us. No need to make any decisions. That sounds kind of nice. I ought to be a kid again. Maybe you could see the appeal. But Paul says, you don't want what you think you want. Because the law only does one thing. It condemns. The law binds you in shackles. It enslaves you. And it sentences you to hell. You don't want what you think you want. You foolish Galatians. You don't want God to tell you what to do and when to do it and how to do it because you will fail and you will be condemned. And so he continues. <clears throat> but when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Paul's basically saying Christmas proves the false teachers wrong. (laughs) If you listen to them, you miss the beauty of Christmas. This is why God sent his son. God sent his son to be born under the law that that condemns you so that it would commend him. You see, the law only condemns those who break it but it commends those who perfectly obey it. And every single day of Jesus' life, that's what he did. He didn't have that streak of 10 good, obedient moments followed by the 11th failure. It never happened. He perfectly obeyed the law every single moment of his life, and so the law didn't condemn him, it commended him. And then he took his perfect life to a cross where his father asked him to do one more thing. And the son once again obeyed. The father placed your failures and mine upon his own son. All the times that the law has condemned me and all the times that it has condemned you, the wrath of the father that we deserve was placed on the son Who redeemed us, who bought us back and made us his own. And he doesn't just call us sons and call us daughters. He says, You're all grown up. The laws are not here to threaten you with wrath anymore. You're free. The gospel is not freedom to go sin, but it is freedom to serve in a different way. Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you do that, you cannot break the first three commandments. And Jesus says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And as you do that, you can't break commandments four through ten. But these laws are not here for the Christian to threaten you with God's wrath. They're here to give you a way to show your love to your father. Just like you, when you hit 18, did not decide, good, I'm going to spit in mom and dad's face as much as I can now. Perfect. No, but your motivation has changed. You no longer obey them because You're afraid of their wrath. You obey them because you love them. Because you respect them. It's totally different. The motivation has changed. Do you see what the gospel has done for you and for me? We are heirs of the estate, no longer under the guardians and trustees. The appointed time has come. God sent his son, born under law, to redeem us under law that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters. We are all grown up, children of God, given freedom. And you need to understand what this means for you so that you can finally have peace. Because so often, even as children of God, we go through this life agonizing over this decision and that. Do I make this career move or not? Do we buy the house? Do we rent? Do we pay in cash or, or take out a loan? What's the right way to go? I, I don't know what to do. <laughs> should I buy the car while it's on sale and I got to take out a bigger loan or, or should I wait till I have more cash and then maybe the car is not on sale and then I don't take out? What do I do? Do I go right? Do I go left? Do I do this? Do I do that? Ah! You're free. And thank the Lord for it. He doesn't say make this career decision or make that career decision. And thank the Lord for it. He he doesn't say pay cash or take out a loan. You're free. Do whichever one seems right to you. He doesn't tell you to go to the right or go to the left, to do this or to do that. You are are free. You're all grown up. You don't have to walk around fearing the lightning bolt's going to come down because you you chose the wrong thing. God will bless this or God will bless that. Be at peace. You're all grown up. Christmas means the time has come Christmas means God sent his son to rescue you and me from sin, death, and the devil. We don't live in fear. We live in peace. Children of God, heirs of God's estate, heaven itself. So go home. Decide this or decide that. Be at peace, heirs of God. Amen.